Welcome back to another installment of the Swiss Army Slasher. Now, as we continue on our quest to solve these grisly cases, we get into the late 90s, where we begin to see a few more consistencies between cases. For instance, today's case, even though it happens in 1998, features a good guy doll named Chucky. Was this the same killer who plagued Chicago eight years prior? a copycat killer who was obsessed with the earlier good guy doll case, or are the rumors true and this doll really is cursed? Let's get into it. I'm Karina. I'm Emily. And I'm Katie. And And this this is The Nameless Nameless Dead. This case begins in an abandoned warehouse in Lockport, Illinois. How far is Lockport from Chicago? Uh, About a 45-minute drive. 27-year-old Officer Bob Bailey had been on patrol the prior night. After he didn't show up for work the next day, his fellow officers were able to track his vehicle to this warehouse. Inside, they found Officer Bailey's body fallen halfway out of the driver's seat of his police cruiser head almost brushing the dirty warehouse floor. Bob's throat had been slit by a literal Swiss army knife. Hey, here we go. About time. Buckle up. This is the first time we see this killer live up to his name. Can I just say, it would be take some work to actually slit someone's throat with a Swiss army knife. I mean, as somebody that's used a Swiss army knife before, <laughs> they are not good for much. Can you sharpen it beyond its initial... Maybe? Purpose? Uh, they're just very small. Like, very small. <laughs> there was very little sign of struggle and no additional damage to the vehicle. Police did, however, find one strange thing sitting on the floor of the passenger seat. An evidence tag from case number 22408, an unsolved case that took place in Boonville, Missouri, involving none other than 16-year-old Andy Barclay and his famous good guy doll, Chucky. Kid can't catch a break. How long ago was that case? Uh, Still 1998, about a month prior to this case. Oh, that's pretty recent. Sure is. Many suspect that the tag came from the Chucky doll itself, which they claim Bob stole, and then it, I don't know, came to life and killed him or something. But Boonville police had never issued a statement on this tag or where it might have come from. Let's say that maybe Officer Bob was a crooked cop and did steal some old evidence. Why the hell would you steal a toy and not drugs or money or something better? Yeah, I wonder what they would have thought his motive could have been. I don't, that's strange. Needless to say, the Lockport PD were devastated by the loss of one of their own and the appearance of wrongdoing that went along with his death. Then, the very next day, a jogger was running by the East River when he noticed something strange in the water. 
Now, the East River is not known for being exceptionally clean, and at first the jogger thought the trunk he saw partially washed up on the bank was just another piece of junk. But then he saw that it was bursting open with something that resembled bloated flesh. Mm, any day you hear the words bloated flesh is a bad day. This is imagery is just too vivid. Yeah. Damien Maylock, a.k.a. Howard Fitzwater's body, was pulled from the river. It had been stuffed into a decorative steamer trunk before being disposed of in the river. His cause of death, however, did not appear to be drowning, but suffocation, likely prior to being stuffed in the trunk. Of course, a waterlogged body will drastically hinder an autopsy, but there were indications that Damien had been restrained, possibly tied up, when he was killed. Where do you even find a steamer trunk beyond, like, 1938? Right. And especially before Amazon. Was it an heirloom? Like, trace that fucker back. I don't know. I feel like I see them on Marketplace all the time. Okay, maybe I just don't know what a steamer trunk is. (laughs) I heard, like, steampunk trunk was what came to my brain, and that's probably not right at all. Full of uh, flesh, you know. Bulging. Can I also just say tangent, but I think it's like Maybelline or something has a side brand, like an offshoot label. Let's um, hear it. Called Flesh. Oh my God. Uh, And who thought that was a good idea? Right. Like I understand where they were going, that it's like, you know, minimal makeup, it's part of your skin, whatever. But it's like flesh. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's bloated flesh. Right. I'm just wearing my flesh blush. Is very upsetting. Now for more upsetting things. No. Oh no. <laughs> now you may be wondering about the name change. Howard was a timid, somewhat nerdy high schooler, but as he grew into his 20s, he became more and more involved in his local goth scene, hence the name change. He used to stage fake murder scenes of himself and photograph them with Polaroids, which must have been very confusing for the police investigating this case. I'm here for the reinvention, but can you imagine trying to explain that hobby on a first date? <laughs> it would have to be with the very right person. Right, like, hey, what do you do? Oh, I film myself as a, the victim in a crime scene. <laughs> and cool, not the Damien. murderer. The victim. Not the murderer, the victim. Yeah, like, <laughs> can I get the check, please? police suspect the reasoning behind his change in culture was none other than you guessed it a lady so maybe it's the opposite okay the first date went more like hey mister you're cute but you gotta be willing to play the victim in my fake murder scenes i mean no kink shaming right sure (laughs) until we get to real murders and not just any lady Tiffany Tilly, Damien's girlfriend, and the former girlfriend of the Lakeshore Strangler, Charles Lee Ray. Red flag. <laughs> it's just crazy. That's just crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Was an immediate suspect in this case. Oh, yeah. She's highly sus. But when police went to question her the next day, they were met with a grisly surprise. Tiffany had been watching TV from the bathtub the night prior when the television fell from the shelf and into the tub, electrocuting the poor woman. Oh, no. Always got to find the studs in the wall. Yep. Sometime between Tiffany's death and the police arrival, Tiffany's neighbor, Jesse Miller, entered the camper where Tiffany lived and where her body lay. Okay. I'm just surprised a camper had a full bathtub. (laughs) 
I don't think I've ever seen that before. That is surprising. Right? It's like a walk-in shower at best. Right? That's probably also the toilet. Yes. But where do they get the water to fill a bathtub in a camper? Well, there's water connections, right? Water and electricity connections when you park a camper for long term. Okay. But then you have to figure out where you're draining a tub. <laughs> That's a different question. He used a key under the mat. Okay, a person who dated a serial killer is still keeping a key under their doormat. (laughs) This honestly might be the most unreasonable aspect of this case. (laughs) Maybe it's a really safe trailer park. No. Really? (laughs) According to him, Tiffany, a doll collector. Always a doll collector. (laughs) Even better. Paid him $500 to drive two dolls to Hackensack, New Jersey. Must have been some dolls. He was just in the camper to pick up the dolls and had no interaction with Tiffany, dead or alive. Are campers really big enough that you could go into one without noticing a dead body? Even if she was in a closed bathroom, there would have been, like, a smell? Okay, right? Well, I guess we don't know how long she's been dead at this point. But, like, electricity burning smell? Like, the TV fried? And so what? Was the $500 just, like, on the table in the entryway and he just grabbed it and left the dolls without ever confirming the purchase there was a like a note like i think it was an envelope with a note in it and the five hundred dollars jesse five hundred dollars leave dolls these two dolls not the other two dolls that are probably everywhere because i'm a doll collector you know the ones (laughs) don't come in the bathroom (laughs) prior to the discovery of (laughs) tiffany's body Whispers of a serial killer were already in the air. I personally don't see the connection between Bob and Damien's murders. Well, Andy, Barkley. Yeah, where is Andy now? Andy is still in military school in Missouri. Wasn't what what was it that involved him a month ago? A case at the military school in Missouri. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did he escape from military school? He did not. He's still under close watch during this case. I'm just saying that he mm. is definitely the link, right? So there's some relation between Bob and Damien. I want to know more. My theory <laughs> is that we're looking at a population of 15,000 in the city, which is not huge. So two murders, two days in a row must be pretty rare. And I think that was probably the main link for the city. True. Although other members of this team may disagree with me. The local news station questioned the Lockport PD on air about the existence of such a killer. And, well, Tiffany's death just solidified these rumors. I mean, at this point, I'm not convinced that Bob's murder is linked, but two members of a couple getting offed? Like, that's got to be a link. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. Well, and Bob's... The fact that Bob was murdered with the case number from the previous good guy doll case that is that links tiff like because the the lakeshore strangler was definitely somehow linked Mm -hmm. um i don't know it's just definitely sus the next event in this case happened the very next night and involved yet another police officer Officer Michael Norton stopped Jesse and his girlfriend, Jay Kincaid, outside of a convenience store, which seemed to also serve as a local hangout for kids. Get these kids to a more interesting town. Oh. Stat. 
So there are a number of witnesses to the altercation between Officer Norton and these two. Jesse and Jade were two dating teenagers who ended up being so central to this case that it was referred to at the time as the Jesse and Jade case. Jade was a 17-year-old orphan who lived with her godfather and uncle, police chief Warren Kincaid. Jesse was a bit older, 19, and lived on his own. The two considered themselves a modern-day Romeo and Juliet and Dick. were on their way out of town to get married with the cash Tiffany had paid Jesse, bucking Jade's uncle's authority. Officer Norton had caught wind of their plan and was attempting to intercede, or at least that's what Jesse and Jade claimed. My God, who cares? Just let them get married and regret it later. Ah, uh, no. This was the police chief's charge, you see. So Ugh. he was paying Officer Norton on the side to keep Jade far away from Jesse. I am not sure there's enough money in the world to make this a worthwhile side gig for Officer Norton. Right, like, whatever. Just let her make mistakes. Yeah, still. Still, who cares? Yeah. What we know is that Jade attempted to physically attack Officer Norton. Oh, to be a white girl. <laughs> In response, Officer Norton pinned Jesse to the front of his van. Jade then went into the convenience store. Officer Norton went to his patrol car. An officer retreats to his car instead of pursuing the person who attacked him. Yeah, his assailant could only be a white girl. In his anger, Jesse kicked out the driver's side headlight of his own van. Just as Officer Norton sat down in his patrol car, the car out of nowhere, exploded. The car and Officer Michael Norton were completely destroyed and fiery car parts were flung into the unsuspecting crowd of onlookers. That escalated quickly. Yeah, they don't think Jesse or Jade did this, right? I mean, it would take a significant level of, I don't know, bomb intelligence right? <laughs> to blow up this car. Well, they certainly wanted to talk to them. The chaos of people trying to flee the explosion led to a multi-car pileup. It also led to Jesse and Jade leaving the crime scene. Officer Norton was the only victim of this explosion, which we now know was foul play. No onlookers there were killed as flaming car parts hurled into the crowd. Now, keep in mind, though the explosion seemed to be intentional, both Jesse and Jade were witnessed by a number of people not going near the officer's vehicle at any time during their interaction with him. Meaning this attack had to have been premeditated if they were the perpetrators. One strange piece of evidence was found at this scene leading further credence to the serial killer theories. A lighter belonging to Officer Bob Bailey, the police officer who had his throat slit in the warehouse just a few short nights before. Must be quite a distinctive lighter to be recognized so easily, but that does link these murders. Yeah, maybe it was monogrammed. Obviously, Officer Norton used his car. Like, he had to get to the convenience store. So whoever planted bomb. It's not like somebody could have done it, whatever, days ago. And it's so, just like a coincidence that Jesse and Jade happened to be there when it went off. So maybe the killer stole Officer Bob's lighter and maybe. planted it? Maybe this killer has something against police officers? Yeah, I think this killer has something against police officers. <laughs> At this point, police became very adamant about speaking with Jesse Miller, who was quickly headed for the state line. 
The police theory at this point was that Jesse was the perpetrator of all of the murders thus far, and Jade was his hostage. Police set up roadblocks but were unsuccessful in stopping Jesse's van, and the two ended up in the Honeymoon Suites Motel in Niagara Falls after a quick stop to get married. (laughs) Wait, what? I get their whole Romeo and Juliet persecution narrative, but... Your next logical step after seeing an officer's car explode and a multi-car pileup, some of which were probably your friends, is to go elope. Yeah, so that was my first (laughs) reaction too. So does it make more sense if either, A, one person is worried about maybe going to prison for a long, long time Mm -hmm. sometime in the near future? Mm -hmm. Or B, if Jade was coerced into the marriage? Yeah, because what's that thing where you, like, can't testify against your spouse? I don't know if that's actually true or if that's just an urban legend, but I've heard it brought up a lot in other media. I I subscribe to Theory A. Yeah, neither of these theories is good. Healthy. (laughs) Rude. I mean, good in the sense of, like, healthiness of a couple. These are some shit theories, Karima. Objectively, the theories are sound, (laughs) but it sucks to be a person involved in the theories is what I'm saying. Yes. Anyway, Honeymoon Suites Motel. Aptly named. The only other residents of the motel that night were Russ and Diane Galliters, another couple who were actually small-time con artists. What are the chances? (laughs) That's so weird. Unfortunately, their single night stay at the Honeymoon Suites would put an end to this career. Sometime in the night, the full-size mirror that hung above their bed in the hotel shattered, raining broken glass down on the couple and puncturing their bodies and the waterbed they slept on. Ooh, that's gruesome. I wonder if they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time or if they're otherwise connected to this case. Well, okay, so this is the second time something's just like fallen just from fallen. the wall. Yeah, right. But also, are the Mythbusters still around? Because if so, I need them to take this case on because I don't know that just gravity of falling mirror bits would be enough to puncture a body. Yeah, and how does a, a mirror just shatter? Yeah, because the relative weight of each individual shard, I don't know that that would be enough to get enough velocity falling down. (laughs) I have somewhat of an answer to Emily's question, which is they found a broken champagne bottle. Hmm. And the way that the mirror broke looks like it was like impacted in one particular spot. So the theory is that a champagne bottle was thrown up onto the mirror and that's what shattered it. What a wild night. Also, I guess this is the kind of hotel where the mirrors are above the bed. It's exactly that kind of hotel. (laughs) When the hotel maid entered the room the next morning, she found it flooded with water and blood and a horrible scene awaiting her on the bed. That woman does not get paid enough. Definitely not. I'm going to show you the most famous picture of this crime scene. (sighs) Okay. Oh. Ah! Do you guys want to describe what you're seeing right now? Yes, but I... <laughs> this goes back to my whole gravity theory. Yeah. Um, okay, so it's... Uh, Were the ceilings, of- like, 90 feet tall? <laughs> I still think you're right, because assuming okay. this is, like, an 8-foot or 9-foot ceiling, yes. the glass would just, like, patter on you. It wouldn't impale you. Or even if it did, it would only go, like, an inch deep, right? Like, it's not like it would stab through to your heart and kill you instantly. Yeah. So this picture, we see Uh, two (laughs) 
people on a bed to naked people, yet, of course, none of their private parts are exposed because mm. of delicate arm and mirror shard placements. <laughs> well done, murderer, <laughs> I guess. But there's a lot of blood, a lot of giant chunks of glass mirror impaling them in various gross mm -hmm. ways. And it looks as if they've died instantly, right? Like they haven't changed position. Their eyes are still open. They're, they look to have been surprised. Like there's a shard of glass that has gone into the woman's skull, theoretically into her brain, which yeah, through just the seems skull. very unlikely. There's another one like into her, the bone in her forearm. Yeah, there's shards sticking out of None the of these puncture torso. wounds seem deep enough to kill anybody instantly, is all I'm saying. By the time New York City police... <laughs> I don't know, what do you want? I wasn't there. I wasn't as gross as the photo we looked at last yeah, time, so like thank you melted, for that. Melted, yeah. Okay. Melted flesh. <laughs> flesh. By the time New York police showed up at the Honeymoon Suites Motel, Jesse and Jade were long gone. At some point along this journey, the two were joined by their high school friend, David Wolvet. It is unclear how much of a part David played in any of this, or even exactly when he joined the two. What we do know is that somewhere on Highway 90, David ran from Jesse's van and threw himself in front of a tractor trailer. <laughs> to be fair, I've been in third wheel situations where I've felt the impulse to do something similar. I was going to say, I just don't know if I was good enough friends with anybody as a teenager to like get involved <laughs> in any of this. So you're on the run from the law and you might be murderers. Yeah. No, well, let me join you. Nice knowing you. Let me just send me a postcard. You know, this action, it makes me kind of wonder like, do you think drugs were involved? Like, would that explain a lot of this? What kind of drugs? Yeah, it depends on the drugs. Uppers I, for sure. Like yeah. maybe crack cocaine or meth? Sugar? Maybe. Look, my high school career was not that exciting, so I can't offer any expertise. It just seems like a really weird action to just run out of a van and throw yourself in front of a tractor trailer. It very for weird. Sure. So also though, my dad has this story that he's told me. Maybe it was just like a, you know, scare me out of drugs story. But <laughs> apparently Did he it work? was in a car full of individuals on mushrooms. And one of them was having a bad trip. And I think he was like getting paranoid that people were following them. And so his solution was to open the door and throw himself out of the car. <laughs> Moving car? Yes. Ooh. I mean, I think he's fine. He's fine. But... You know, maybe drugs were involved. Maybe. <laughs> that, you, <laughs> was he the one driving? Your dad? No. Okay. okay. I, I don't know if that makes so. it better or worse. <laughs> I don't, that detail did not enter the story. Knowing you, I'm very surprised with that. What? <laughs> Lieutenant Ben Ellis witnessed this incident, along with Jesse driving away from the scene. He gave chase to the van, and either Jesse or Jade, who were apparently armed with a gun, shot out his front tire. When does a gun enter this picture? Where did teenagers get a gun? Right, did they steal it from the guy that they blew up? Oh, well, America. somebody blew up? I don't know. I don't have an answer. <laughs> Look, Jade uh, they suddenly had a gun. She lived with a cop. I'm sure she... Uh, yeah, good point. Somehow. Yeah. Fortunately, Lieutenant Ellis was not injured in this altercation. Okay. Man, I hope all these cops are just embarrassed to be owned by a pair of dumb teenagers. <laughs> yeah. 
At this point, police had been able to thoroughly investigate both Bob, Tiffany's, and Michael's crime scenes, and they found something very strange at Tiffany and Michael's. Fingerprints of the long-deceased Lakeshore Strangler. What? Okay, so maybe he did call Andy? I mean, remember Uncle Charlie? Uncle Charlie. I'm just saying. I guess they're thinking at this point that Charles Lee Ray fakes his death or something. Mm -hmm. So they get a court order to exhume the body. And do you want to guess where this man is buried? Forest Creek Cemetery in Hackensack, New Jersey. I was going to guess Andy's backyard, but this is definitely weirder. This Hackensack, New Jersey is where Tiffany paid Jesse to deliver those two dolls, right? Yep. That's a hell of a coincidence. Indeed. Somewhere just outside of Scranton, Pennsylvania, Jesse and Jade decide that Jesse's super conspicuous van with a mural painted on the side. What was the mural? A wizard? Yes. All right. (laughs) Carry on. And a broken headlight might be a little too conspicuous. The two carjack the RV of Alfred and Barbara Davis an elderly couple traveling in their retirement. Escalating very quickly. The fate of this couple is unknown, but later evidence implies that they were taken hostage in their own RV while Jesse and Jade continued towards their destination. My parents are thinking about getting an RV, and I think I'm going to talk them out of it now. (laughs) In case they make it carjacked? Uh Uh-huh. By homicidal, drug-addled teenagers. no. Upon recovering Jesse Miller's van, police discovered blood seeping out from under a storage bench in the back. When they opened the bench, police discovered the body of missing police chief Warren Kincaid. Oh, no. Jesse's uncle, who had been missing for the past two days. Just dropping like flies. Body count is mounting. So maybe he disapproved of their teenage marriage. We know he did. (laughs) And they murdered him for it. Again, I just can't imagine having this level of conviction as a teenager. Right. Like, put up a single roadblock and I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Murder town, USA. Let's go. Nails had been driven into uh, Warren's what? face. What? And he had been stabbed six times with a small knife. Oh, my God. His injuries indicate a prolonged period of suffering prior to his death. Okay. If my earlier theory about teenagers wanting to go their own way is correct, this is really overkill. But this is also another Swiss Army slasher hallmark excessive cruelty. So, I mean, like, Jade can't be the Swiss Army slasher. She's too young, right? Oh, yeah, Jesse is too. Maybe they are copycats? Hmm. Just outside of Forest Creek Cemetery, the couple crashed the RV in a ditch and blew the vehicle up. Police later found the remains of Mr. and Mrs. Davis blown apart from the blast. How did Jesse and Jade get away from it? Right, and who has all this knowledge of explosives? It is specialized knowledge. Right? But yeah, you can't just YouTube how to blow up an RV. Anarchist cookbook. I don't know if that's really why, but I remember when I was in high school. <laughs> that's how we would look up things. The New Jersey medical examiner had been working late into the night to exhume Charles Ray Lee's body. I'm not exactly sure why Dr. Bradley was alone in the cemetery. Like, why weren't there any assistants around? What we do know is that Dr. Bradley was shot, execution style, in the head 
once Charles Lee Ray's coffin was revealed. I definitely agree that the medical examiner's office needs to work on their best practices. No more solo midnight exhuming. Well, and beyond that, I would think that there would be news reporters, fans, paparazzi, victims' families, etc. I mean, there should be, like, people there. Yeah. <laughs> Interested parties. Yeah. Yeah, it was in the news. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not like it was And secret. he was a somewhat famous serial killer. Mm-hmm. The coffin was opened, but no fingerprints were found on it except those of Charles Lee. My theories, some copycat superfan made a fake glove of his fingerprints. Because <laughs> what else could explain this? Like, weren't there episodes of Scooby-Doo where that happened? Someone like... Uh, I think there was a Charlie's Angels thing. Uh-huh. They, like, had contact lenses with the eyes and, like, gloves with the fingerprints. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This could, yeah. This could be happening. I'm here for that. Lieutenant Lawrence Preston was a Lockport private investigator who had been tracking Jesse and Jade across their multi-state journey. How did this guy even get involved? Like, also, what is the police opinion on a PI, just in general? In general, not so great. Right. As far as I understand. But this guy was an ex-cop. Oh. Lieutenant Preston arrived at Forest Creek Cemetery soon after Dr. Bradley's demise and, get this... He calls the Lockport police and tells them that Jesse and Jade are innocent of the murders, clearing them both and sending them away from the crime scene. Based on what evidence? Did they somehow buy him off with their $500 doll delivery windfall? Well, yeah. Can he just clear them? <laughs> like, I don't think that's how any of that works. No, it's not how it works. I would agree that that's not how it works, but we also do have plenty of historical evidence that when a cop says something, other cops tend to agree with him, regardless of the actual facts. Hmm. So I don't know. By the time New Jersey police arrived at the cemetery, Lieutenant Preston had been murdered and torn apart seemingly by some small wild animal. I'm tempted to stick with my theory that Jade and Jesse paid him off, then killed him to get their money back. But I guess by this time they were out of state and that doesn't explain the small animal. Well, they were walking because they have no vehicle at this point. But still, they were already like out of state by then, right? They were in New Jersey. So they went from (sighs) Illinois to Niagara Falls to New Jersey. I see. So yeah, no, they did it. Yeah, it's like 12 hours total. Though the court of public opinion had already convicted Jesse Miller and Jade Kincaid of this murder spree, police never officially arrested them. Why not? She's related to a cop. Oh, that explains it. They willingly cooperated with the police, and, well, it's still technically an open investigation, so limited information is available to the public aside from what was reported at the time. The case remains to this day, unsolved. So what do we think? A pair of star-crossed lovers with delusions of grandeur or the Swiss Army Slasher? Swiss Army Slasher. That was my impulse, but honestly, I think they're pretty guilty. So, I don't know. Collusion? Yeah, my first impulse is not Swiss Army Slasher. Simply because it, it just seems like it's more crime of passion type like a lot of passion. Right. It's very isolated to you know, reactions to this teenage marriage. 
I, as I say that, I think back like oh, the ventriloquist guy and then he, he like went and murdered his lover. We're pretty sure that was a Swiss Army slasher. So you know what? Maybe he's just really good at using extenuating circumstances to cover his or her trap. And also mm-hmm. some, some of point. the murders, if we're attributing all of these murders to either the SAS or I mean the same person, right? Like the other couple in the honeymoon suite and also the couple who own the RV, like those weren't those weren't backing anyone into a corner that they reacted by murder, right? Like those were Yeah, the teenage separate, couple seemingly separate. would never have known about the other couple in the, the honeymoon hotel. Unless what's their beef with them? The other couple witnessed something and mm. or just witnessed them at the hotel in general. Oh yeah, and maybe we're gonna turn them in. Yeah. It could happen. And also, if this is Swiss Army Slasher, I don't understand why he wouldn't have also killed the teenagers because they had to have witnessed some very weird stuff. How do we know the other couple are con artists? Like, maybe they tried to pull a con on the teenagers? Mm-hmm. Maybe, mm. yeah. It was the only information I was able to find about them. And I felt really weird about it because I don't like to speak ill of the dead in these cases. But there's literally, you know, they'd been arrested for small petty crimes prior Hmm. This is like literally the only information I could find about them. So let's go over how this case fits with some of the others we've covered thus far. First off, a doll. Two dolls, in fact, one of which we've seen before, maybe, or sort of. As you may recall, Tiffany collected dolls. Her favorite to collect were purportedly cursed or haunted dolls. It's a bad hobby. She also sometimes would alter these dolls and sell them. So like, you know, an Etsy seller before Etsy existed. Regretsy. This was apparently the reason she paid Jesse to drive to New Jersey to deliver a doll in a cemetery. One of the dolls Jesse collected from her was a graphically cut apart and sewn back together good guy doll. And the other was a gothy bride doll. Has she heard of like UPS? <laughs> right? It's got to be way less than $500. Of course, some people want to claim that this good guy doll is the same one from the foster care carnage case, the cursed Chucky doll. But that seems unlikely to me. Yeah. A lot of them were made, right? So the chances of it being the same one, pretty low. It was more likely just a recreation, specifically made to look as creepy as possible by Tiffany. We also have spree killing with a variety of means of murder. Uh, But I would argue that this is really different than what we've seen in the past in the Swiss Army Slasher. Four of these murders do take place in Lockhart, but this spree spans three states and lasts four days. There's multiple vehicles blown up and gun violence, which, like, that's atypical. Like, we haven't Mm -hmm. seen that in cases so far. But we do have a literal Swiss Army knife. True. And a second tiny knife as well. Yes. What was the second tiny knife? So there were two separate murders with small knives. Uh, Officer Bob Bailey had his throat slit with a Swiss mm-hmm. Army knife, and Chief Warren Kincaid was stabbed six times with... That's right. It's something closer to resembling a cheese knife, I'd say. Aww. There were a couple creative-style murders, like the broken mirror and the nails, and that's kind of in line with what we've seen in the past. Right. And the TV in the tub. Yeah, and the mm-hmm. TV in the tub. I find the focus on police murders in this case really interesting. And 
also had a character from the killer from what we've seen in the past. What do y'all make of that? Do you think the Swiss Army slasher could have been flaunting the fact that police hadn't caught him after all these years? I don't know. I think that combined with the fact that it's over multiple states over multiple days to me indicates that it's not the Swiss Army slasher. Yeah. Otherwise, he was stalking these teenagers and yet how could they have not seen anything if it wasn't them who did it? If there was some third-party Swiss Army slasher, they should have come forward with this and said, like, oh, no, there was this, like, really creepy person following us and murder followed in his wake, you know? But instead, nothing. Well, we don't know what they told police. Hmm. And it's entirely possible that police have asked them not to speak publicly Although, man, that's a hard sell because it is an open investigation, an ongoing investigation. I suppose so. Karina, how come you haven't hacked the police files yet? <laughs> is there any sort of like limitation on how long a case can be open like that without like letting people speak about it? I don't know how far police can keep you from speaking about it, right? Like that tends to be legal advice when people won't speak about a case. Ah. So I don't know if it's the police, but man, yeah, I just can't imagine being, let's say, a teenage girl and the entire world thinks that you were somehow involved in grisly murders. And if you weren't, just not saying anything for more than 20 years. Yeah. I mean, and imagine the book deals. (laughs) So honestly, the fact that they have managed to stay quiet so long kind of does incriminate them to me. Yeah. Like I'm surprised she hasn't told her story or, Mm -hmm. you know, gotten any sort of like people magazine expose or (laughs) right. Like Oprah Winfrey interview. Exactly. Like, I don't know. I I would think at this point she would have used it to her advantage somehow. Yeah. She went underground. Hmm. Hmm. That's all I have to say. (laughs) Hmm. Jane Kincaid is the woman who lived. Maybe she has a more active role in this case than some of the survivors we've seen in the past. Is it becoming a trend that the surviving women are also suspects? Yeah, it seems to be. That was definitely the case with Kyle in the last case. Hmm. And is it Jane from the one in England? England? Yeah, the little girl. Mm-hmm. She wasn't really a suspect. No, no. Only because she was so young. a baby. Well... Yeah, not a baby baby. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she was like eight, right? Yeah. Okay. We don't know how much she participated in these acts or how willing her involvement may have been. She could very well have been kidnapped and witnessed her uncle's murder as well as a lot of other really terrible things. Pretty much all we know about her is that she survived. Right. And her relationship with the force um, I mean, we don't know what else Jesse was into, right? Like maybe this True. was some sort of cover up. The police were after Jesse for something and uh, didn't use legal means and, mm. you know, needed some sort of scapegoat. That's a stretch. That's, but a, that's a big conspiracy. <laughs> Look. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing. Eight years after this last case, the Swiss Army slasher is reported to have struck again. Did this case open up a new dimension of murder for the Swiss Army slasher, complete with car explosions and targeting police? Or was it a pair of teenage killers gone mad? Does every one of these cases have obvious perpetrators embedded in their stories? 
Or is a Swiss Army slasher still among us, waiting to strike again? Stay with us as we continue to investigate with our next case, The Curse of Chucky. And until then... Don't be nameless. Don't be dead. This episode was written and edited by Karina McGeehan, hosted by Emily Shirley, Katie Jeffries, and Karina McGeehan. Our producer is Derek Adams, and sound and music design was done by Ian Ennis, with mixing by Alan Rowell. Jesus Christ.